So, you're feeling tense and you haven't slept in weeks? Yeah, doctor, I think it's the stress in my life. I'm 37 years old, I still don't have a girlfriend, I'm about to lose my job, and my car is starting to make this hickog, hickog, hickog noise. I feel like my life is out of control. I don't know what to do. Well, there are two options. One is pills and sticking you with needles. Acupuncture? No, just pills and sticking you with needles. Will that help? For the problems you're dealing with? No. Oh, and the other option is? You can trust God to take care of you that many of us as God's people still make today when things in our lives are not working out the way we want them to, they begin to doubt that God loved them. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Depending on your circumstances, it can be easy to wonder whether God has your best interests in mind. But Charles Tapp asks, who holds the reins to your heart? Where do you put your trust? Today, he continues his series, Back to the Bible, as he clears up some misconceptions behind the ancient text of a little-known prophet named Malachi that God wants all of you. In his message, the Lord of the Reigns. Today we begin part four of our series that we've titled Back to the Bible. And our purpose for going back to the Bible and looking at some of these stories in the Old and New Testament that are familiar to some of us and not so familiar to others is that our our goal is that as we are drawn back to the Bible, we pray that our hearts would be drawn back to God. Who says amen? Isn't that why we go to the book in the first place, or shouldn't that be the reason why we go to God's Word, not just to get a bunch of information or just to hear about some good stories, but our purpose for being drawn to this book is in the hopes that our hearts will be drawn back and closer in relationship with God. That's why it's the greatest book that's ever been written. That's why it's always on the New York Times top 10 bestsellers list, because this is a book that has the power to change and transform lives. And if you don't know that, it means you've never read it. In case you've missed part of our series, we began part one with a message titled Dead Man Walking. As we looked at the life of Enoch, And we discovered that the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and God just snatched him from the earth and he was no more for God took him. And as we looked at Enoch's walk, we discovered that he was taken by God not because he had a perfect walk with God, a walk of perfection, but we discovered that the reason why God took Enoch was because Enoch had a perfect walk of faith. And isn't that what you want? Isn't that what I want? A perfect walk of faith. It is the story of righteousness by faith. In part two of our series, Back to the Bible, we looked at a message called Barren But Blessed, and we looked at the mother of Samuel. We looked at the life of Hannah, and we discovered from looking at her life that grace is not just that thing that God has provided so that you and I can experience salvation, dear friends, 
But grace is whenever we have God's divine hand of intervention in our lives. And God is willing to touch those barren places of our lives, those places that are lifeless, those places that are fruitless, those places that are bearing no fruit, and he is willing to touch them and bring them back to life. Then we looked at part three of our message out of Egypt. And we looked at the journey of the Israelites as they were coming out of Egyptian captivity, making their trek through the wilderness into the promised land. And one of the most important lessons we learned from that part three back to the Bible series is that God does not want us to compare our circumstances where we are to what we left behind to serve him but rather he wants us to compare our circumstances where we are to what he has in store for each and every one of us if we will only remain faithful to him. And that's what it's all about. It's remaining faithful to God. And today we look at part three or four of our series, Back to the Bible, that I've titled The Lord of the Reigns. And we're going to take a look at a very small book in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it happens to be the last book of the Old Testament. It only has four chapters, and it is the book of Malachi. And the key verse, the key passage to Malachi is found in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to verse 10. And as we look at Malachi, we're not looking at really a person today. We're not even focusing primarily on a people, but rather I want us to focus on the practice of God's people. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And already some of us have gotten uncomfortable. This is an interesting book because when you read this book in its context, you discover that it is a conversation that God is having with himself, that God makes claims about himself and then responds in behalf of the people as if they were speaking to him. This is one of the most abused passages, in my opinion, in all of Scripture, because many people read this and they see it as a formula for financial prosperity. Others look at that and they see it as one of the most severest practices of legalistic Christianity. But if you read the entire book of Malachi from the first chapter to the fourth chapter, you will never see this passage of Malachi 3, 8 to 10 the same way ever again. So let's take a look at this book of Malachi. The name itself means messenger. And Malachi is bringing a message to God's people, a people that had been in captivity for some 70 years 
in Babylon. And now they have finally gotten their freedom and returned home. And Malachi comes on the scene after God's people have returned for some 100 years. So they've been back home just long enough to reestablish themselves. They've been back home long enough to rebuild the temple so they can resume their worship of the one true God. They've been back just long enough so that they can resurrect all their dreams as well as their hopes. Why? Because they're back home now. But as many of us know, returning home is not always what is cracked up to be. For things are always supposed to be better where? At home. But you see, God's people, they were looking for the blessing that they expected to receive once they were out of captivity and now had returned home. They were looking with great anticipation for the glorious future that had been foretold by prophets like Haggai and Zechariah. They were looking for the return of their God to, to reestablish himself in the temple that they had built. And because these things were not working out the way they wanted or anticipated or expected, especially within the time frame that they desired, they made the mistake that many of us as God's people still make today when things in our lives are not working out the way we want them to, they began to doubt that God loved them. Does that sound familiar? See, there's a danger in doubting that God loves you because that's the beginning of what will give birth ultimately to unbelief and disobedience. And the enemy wants you and I to, to, to get to the point where we feel that, that God doesn't care about us anymore, that somehow God has turned his back on us, or that God has neglected us. And once he's done that, the enemy has us right where he wants us. It's the same strategy that he used with Jesus in the wilderness temptation. He went to him and he said, if you are the son of God. But what do you mean, if I am? You just heard at my baptism, my father from heaven said, and this is my beloved son. Ellen White said in the book Desire of Ages, under this chapter of uh, Christ's baptism, that the enemy's goal was to instill doubt within the heart of Jesus that he was who God said he was. And that's the trick that the enemy wants to plant in our minds today. He wants you and he wants me to doubt that we are who God says we are. So when we look at the barometer of our lives and our circumstances are not going the way we want them to, we begin to think that God doesn't care. Have you been there? When the barometer says that things are going well, all of a sudden we think that God loves us. But when unfortunate things happen in our lives, just be honest sometimes, we begin to look at our relationship with God and we begin to wonder like Habakkuk did, Lord, what's, what's going on? You see, God's people in Malachi's day made the same mistake that you and I make today. We equate our circumstances with whether God loves us enough. 
Let me just give you a newsflash. Sometimes things in our lives are the way they are simply because life is hard. We live in an imperfect world. And what's so ironic is why is our culture always looking for perfection in a world that is imperfect? The only thing perfect about our world is its imperfection. We have a world that is perfectly imperfect. And you will never get perfection out of something that is perfectly imperfect. So we begin to look at God and blame God. But when we do that, it takes the focus off of us. And if we're really going to be honest with ourselves today, folks, Many of the challenges that we are experiencing currently in our lives, you and I had a hand in putting that together. Whether because of things we did not do or things we should have done, but you and I contribute to the circumstances many times that we're experiencing in our lives. And this is where Malachi comes in because he's got the difficult, unwelcome task to tell God's people, listen, it's not that God doesn't love you. That's not why you are in the circumstances that you're in. But the reason why you are where you are is because of your blatant disobedience to God and his word. You know, it's not fun being a preacher sometimes. You know, people come after the service, pastor, I know when you preach, they tell you the same thing, oh, pastor, that was a good message, good message. What are you really saying? That sometimes when a preacher stands up and preach, that he may have to have a car waiting for him to leave. And I'm sure that must have been how Malachi felt. I read a story just the other day of a preacher who preached a sermon in his church, and the title of his message was, The Sins of the Saints. And Orin, a member, came to him and, and, and just rebuked him. How dare you, pastor, preach a message about the sins of the saints? Don't you know our sins are different from the world's sins? Pastor paused for a moment and said, you know, you're right, you are. Because when the world sins, they just break the law. But when you and I sin, we break God's heart. And that's what Malachi had to go tell the people that had been enslaved for some 70 years and now had returned home. Listen, your situation, your conditions are the way they are. Not because God doesn't love you, because God loves you. But you are where you are because of your willful disobedience to him. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, the Lord of the Reigns. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. 
Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life. And depending on your circumstances, it can be easy to wonder whether God has your back. This week, Charles Tapp concludes his series, Back to the Bible, and asks, who holds the reins to your heart? With his message, the Lord of the reins. Malachi makes it clear all throughout this book that it's not God's love for his people that's on trial here. What's really on trial today, friends, is our love for God. God says, I'm clear about one thing. I love you with an everlasting love. But the real issue that I want you to confront with today is this. Do you really love me? Look at Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 and verse 7. A son honors his father, and a servant his what? His master. If then I am the father, God is saying to his people, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is what? Contemptible. One of the most heart-wrenching things for any parent to endure is to experience the attitude of an ungrateful, irreverent, unappreciative child that that parent has demonstrated love in every way for that child, but that child does not appreciate what that parent has done. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There was a song that came out in the 60s by a country songwriter by the name of Harlan Howard, No Charge. How many of you are familiar with that song, No Charge? The song starts like this. A little boy sees his mom in the kitchen, and he comes to her and presents her an itemized list of all the things he has done and the accompanying charges beside it. For cleaning my room, $2. For taking out the trash, $5. For washing the dishes, $3. And the list goes on and on, and he gives it to her, and she looks at it, and she sees the grand total at the bottom. So in her wisdom, she pulls out a piece of paper and a pen and writes her own itemized list. 
For the nine months I carried you. All the parents are going, amen, Pastor. For the nine months I carried you, no charge. For all the late nights I stayed up with you, wiping your runny nose when you were sick, no charge. And let's take it even further. For all the money and fees for academy and church school for the last 20 some odd years, no charge. God was saying, listen, for the time I kept you while you were enslaved and protected you, mm, no charge. When I finally opened up the gates and allowed you to be free and make your way back home, mm, no charge. For the time I helped you rebuild the temple when everybody said it couldn't be done, no charge. How dare you stake the claim that I don't love you? But yet we do that same thing today when things are not going the way we want. We say, God, it's because you don't love us. And God says, how dare you make that claim? I sent my son to be nailed to a cruel rugged cross, no charge. God says to the people in Malachi's day, and he's saying to the people of today that Many of us are in the condition we're in not because God doesn't love us or because God doesn't care, but in spite of that, we're here because of our own decisions. But in spite of that, God says, I still love you. Malachi makes his own list of the sins, of the acts of disobedience. He says, listen, when you go to the altar and you make your sacrifice, you bring lame, blind, crippled sacrifices to God, something that even the, your own governor wouldn't accept. In other words, what you're returning to me is not what I asked you to bring me. And God is very particular when he asks us to do something. If God says one, Two doesn't do. If God says seven, then six won't do. Look at, as we continue Matthew in Malachi chapter three, look at verses six and verse seven. Look at this. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Just stay right there, just leave that right there because we just wanna to get to the other verses. God says, listen, you don't think I love you? The reason why you're not consumed yet in your sins is because I love you. You know, I'm all for Jesus returning soon, but many of us who are asking for Christ to return, you better hold off a little bit because you're not ready for him to return. God says, I love you. That's why you're not consumed. How dare you make the claim that I don't love you because things are not going the way you want in your life. The mere fact that you're able to still breathe is because I love you. You see, we have taken God for granted and we have downsized God. We're not consumed because God has not changed. He is still the God that despite our disobedience is working hard to save us even though he already knows who's going to be lost and who's going to be saved. Verse 7, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. 
return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, this is God again speaking in behalf of his own people. He's answering his own claim. In what way shall we return? Return to me and I'll return to you. God is saying, listen, I want you to demonstrate to me just how much you love me by returning to me your willful act of obedience. And God says, the first thing I want you to do is to be honest with me. That's where Malachi 3, 8 to 10 comes in. Will a man rob God? But how have we robbed you, Lord? In tithes and offerings. The issue, God says, is not me loving you. You don't really love me. Because if you did, you would do what I ask you to do. This is the same God who says that if we're not faithful in little things, how can we be faithful in great things? We see the tithe as this big thing, and it is in many ways, but God says in the whole scheme of things, there's a whole lot more weightier, so I'm going to give you something easy to start with. Stop robbing me. Start being honest with me. And start returning a faithful tithe and offering, because stewardship, dear friends, is just the beginning of our obedience and not the end. The purpose of our tithes and offerings serves to support the ministry. That's all well and good. But it's also the vehicle that God uses to develop a willing heart in his people to do whatever he asks us to do. And in closing, I just want us to go back to the story in Luke 19. Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem, about to make his triumphant entry into the city. But he says to a couple of his disciples, I would need you to go into Bethany, go into the village, and you'll see a colt there, and it'll be tied up, and I want you to untie it. I want you to take the reins and bring it back. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just tell them the Lord needs this. Let's take a look at verses 32 and 34. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the cold, as they were untying the reins, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the cold? And they said, the Lord has need of him. And as you know, he gave them the cold. Now, all kinds of questions pop into my head whenever I read that story. First of all, why did he so willingly give it up? Did Jesus have some secret rendezvous and, and already prearranged this or something? Did he make a, a reservation for the cult like we do a rental car? I don't know. I doubt it. Maybe it was just another miracle in the life of Christ so that he could show them that he truly was who he said and claimed to be. I, I, I'm not sure. But if you read verse 34 in the original, in the Greek, it makes things a whole lot clearer. This is how it reads. If anyone asks you, you are to say, its Lord is in need of it. Did you get the difference? 
Not the Lord needs it, but its Lord is in need of it. In other words, they were saying to him, Jesus is in need of his colt. You've just been a steward of it. It's time for you to let go of the reins and let him have it. But here's the thing. Many of us, in the reins of our hearts, God is not the Lord. So when God asks for his time, we hold on to the reins. When God asks us for his treasure, we hold on to the reins. When God says, I need you to use the talent that's mine that I've loaned you to build up the kingdom, we hold on to the reins because we think we're the Lord of the reins. And the only reason we're not consumed is because God loves us. So don't tell me God doesn't love you, God doesn't love me. So who's the Lord of your reigns today? Whoever holds the reins is in control. And the reason that man gave up that coat, I believe because he realized it wasn't his. And the Lord was the reign, held the reins to his heart. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Lord of the Reigns. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. The only reason you and I pray is because we believe, number one, that God exists But secondly, we also believe that God will respond to my cries. Have you ever cried out to God? Next week, we hope you can listen in again as Charles Tapp begins a brand new series of messages titled, The Prayers of Jesus, A Window into the Heart of God, with part one, Wise in Their Own Eyes. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.